0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. So we're going to systematically walk through. We don't we're not cherry-picking versus We're just seeing what Holy Spirit leads, um, and I have a plethora of notes on each chapter, and what's cool for me is as I walk through it, I have an anticipation that there is this verse that we're going to hit heavy, and I start speaking, and it doesn't happen, and then all of a sudden, a verse that I didn't think was super significant to the topic— It's like you guys draw something and the Holy Spirit releases. Remember in Acts that we don't have to be concerned about what to share because the Holy Spirit will speak through us. And so today we invite him to speak. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit speak. Speak through us. Uh, use me as a vessel however you see fit we just thank you for an incredible day an incredible moment that as we dive into your word that it's not uh, a topic that we are cherry picking but we are walking through what you want us to hear through your early church in Jesus mighty name amen So a lot has happened. Acts chapter 5 was a beginning, verses 1-11, through was a rough passage. There was two individuals, Ananias and Sapphira, who did not lie to Peter. They did not lie to the apostles. The word says that they lied to the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't having anything to do with that. And he killed them both. Crazy story. Not Peter, not the apostles, not the church. God did all that. And it's a weird thing because I've had some questions. Pastor P, do you think that they went to heaven? Do you think that they just died and went to hell? And I, and I, and I will tell you this. Everything we say from here on out is 1,000% personal opinion and speculation. In other words, I, between, them and God. between them and God. I could be a million ways off. But one thing that we do see is that Ananias and Sapphira, for the beginning of the church all the way until this moment, were heavy Members of the early church walking through, and they made a horrible decision. Which leads me to this Does God, huh, does God strike the record because we make a bad decision? This is what's crazy. Because what happens, every single one of us in this room go, have you ever been saved? Yes, have you ever made a mistake or made a bad decision or willfully sinned or whatever? Uh, Every single hand will raise. And then I ask you this question, if you were dying today would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And I I would say the vast majority of us would say we're going to heaven. But what's crazy, and this is how human nature is, is that we now take this one verse and go, they made a horrible decision, God killed them and sent them to hell. Can I tell you, God's judgment on this earth isn't always a definitive answer to how his relationship and judgment will be on the other side. The Lord corrects or chastises those he loves. And I'll look at what's taking place here and I want you to understand this. Two things, number one, The end of your life today is just the beginning of your eternity tomorrow. Secondly, one thing that we don't want to do is to perpetually live in fear that every single moment of a mistake that we make is going to have an eternal consequence forever. Can I tell you? Driving down the road at 75 miles an hour in a 70 mile an hour zone is speeding. Jesus tells us to obey the laws of man. If you get in a car accident, God's not going to go, whew, five miles, you guys are going to hell now. You have sin in your life. That's not what's going to take place. But here's the kicker that we always need to recognize is this, is that God is a supreme judge not only in the next life, but in the current life as well. And his judgments are always righteous. Always righteous, even if they're uncomfortable to us today. We see Ananias and Sapphira lie, um, and they die, and if you want to pick up on lying and all that fun stuff, watch last week, um, but here we are, she immediately fell to the floor in verse 10 At his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. Carrying her out, they buried her by her husband. Verse 11. So fear came upon all the church and all who had heard these things. And now we pick up today. And throughout, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Isn't that interesting? They were all still together. Here's what takes place. I feel like it would be a dramatic event if today God just decided to wipe two of you guys out in the middle of service. Iron Connie, God's done, and you guys just both dropped dead. That would be drama to the nth degree. Can anybody agree with me? I feel like we would be talking about that. Man, Remember the time when God just shot lightning bolts and dropped two people? That would be something that would be crazy. And here's what happens a lot of times in church from my side of the the pulpit is this, is that we get so concerned that something is going to stir up the church in a negative way that everybody will leave. So what happens is pastors do their absolute best to play it safe. We play it safe so that i don't offend as little I can offend as little many mini- as little people as possible, and everybody can be happy it's kind of like walking through and, and and constantly trying to get the dust to calm down because you don't want to stir anything up um uh, my um, house that unfortunately caught fire, um, is like 99% done, and so I'm beginning to move my stuff in, but you know what's taking place is yesterday, out of nowhere, a monsoon broke out and it's just pouring down rain. And so now I'm doing my best to come inside my house and, and not bring in as much dirt as possible. And, and what's happening is, is I'm beginning to tiptoe nice and slowly, as po- slowly as I possibly can, as if it's gonna do any difference, as my, the water on my feet are, are not gonna just create mud spots all over the floor. And this is what happens with a lot of pastors and a lot of teachers is this, is that we need every seat filled as possible, so we wanna do our absolute best to never offend anybody. But here's the crazy part. When God's hand is on the church, it doesn't matter if something as extreme as two people dropping dead or whatever, God's will will be done. And the church grew in unity and the church continued to grow in number. So let me put it this way. You should never be afraid to live life with a very uh, straightforward, purity, holy standpoint on the, on the chance that you may offend somebody and they will not come back. My job is to speak truth in love. Not to be mean, not to be harsh, but can I tell you, to be in love means to tell you the truth even when it's uncomfortable. And any minister of the gospel, big air quotes, who is too afraid to say something that may make you uncomfortable isn't speaking in love love but they are speaking in self-interest every message does not have to beat you over the head but if you were in church for six months and you've never had a whew, oh me moment and we're just perpetually talking about Noah and the ark you might as well be in kids church my word my sister is our kids pastor and she brings heavier words And I'm watching what's taking place. And we're seeing our nation as a whole lose their mind. Can everybody agree with that? And you wonder why? You wonder why? Because no one is standing up for righteousness anymore. I take that back. That was wrong. When I said no one. The vast majority of ministers now are not standing up for righteousness anymore. We have begun to live our lives based on the systematic structures of how to get bigger numbers than it is to make bigger people. And I want you to hear me today that when I look at what took place in the book of Acts, they had high highs and they had low lows. And one thing that we don't want to miss is this, is that just because Ananias and Sapphira were, were struck dead, it's not like God said, there are two bad apples, and I took them out. Now, everybody else is great. There was still issues in the church. And the longer that we walk through the book of Acts, you're going to see issues funneling up through the church, and you're going to see the apostles with big issues too. But here's what we have to realize is that there are There are are perpetual issues in this church as it starts off, but one thing remains, and that is this. Even through their mess and even through their issues, they were in unity to see God move in their midst. They cried out for a move of God at any cost. Verse 13, Yet none of the rest there to join, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. That sounds like an oxymoron. None of them came to join, but their members continued to, to, to grow. So here, let me help you out real quick. What that means is no one took it lightly anymore because they knew there were big consequences to following Jesus. And here's the kicker that I find that's so moving to me is that when God does something extreme and there is something that takes place, no longer is it everybody come and become a bless me club, but now you have to make a hard decision, will I still follow Jesus even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's on the line, even if everything around me is going to cost me something, will I still follow Jesus? In other words, no preconditions. God, I'll follow you as long as you get me the perfect husband and 2.5 kids. And, and we have a six-figure income. We have a big house. We have a, a, a rental house on the side that we can go to the lake when we want to. God, you give me uh, no sickness and everything is happy. And I have tons of friends and everybody loves me. I'll serve you, God, if you, you, you meet these conditions. And God goes, I'm not in the negotiating game. It's yes, or it's no. Will you serve me, or will you not? What are you going to do when you are in prison and angels open the doors? And what are you going to do when you're in prison and you're praying and nothing happens? What are you going to do when you lay hands on the sick and you watch them recover? And what are you going to do when you get a terminal diagnosis from a doctor? Who will you serve in the good days, and who will you serve in the bad days? No Preconditions. Too many times have we made this Christian walk a quick prayer with no heads looking and every eye closed. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Just throw your hand up real quick. You're saved. This is a baseball where you're sliding into first and God's watching as an, as, as the ump going safe. You're good. You're not stealing second with no one looking choosing the faith walk means this I'm out in front and all hell is against me bring it on well P if you're out in front people are gonna talk about you I know if you're out in front the enemy is gonna come after you I know if you're out in front people are gonna hate you I know And this is the walk that we have to make a determination on. is am I a Christian in convenience or am I a Christian all the time? Now, one thing the American church has lost is this, and I'm not uh, anti-God blessing you. God bless us all. But one thing I feel like has happened is that we've created comfortable Christians and comfortable Christians are weak Christians. You know, I I love history. Sorry, I gotta get my caffeine in. I love history. And you know, America was a very small, no powerful not a powerful nation for a long time. World War I came, we weren't the super heavy world power that everyone thinks we are today. But you know what was crazy after we, we, we see what happened with World War I is we had something in the 20s called the Great Depression. And it hardened America. Let me put it this way. The suffering that took place in that life created tough men. Because tough men were needed for what was about to take place overseas. And what's scaring me today is that we have two generations of comfortable men. And comfortable men haven't been hardened And men who haven't been toughened up a little bit are easy to be pushed around a little bit. And easy men who are easy to be pushed around don't know who they are as a man. And men who don't know who they are as a man will never lead the next generation where they need to go as young men and young women. And what we're seeing here in the church is that they're becoming toughened up because of what is about to take place. And as believers, we can no longer live our lives in the comfortable air conditioned church services that we find ourselves, afraid to get in calluses on our spiritual hands and some sweat. You have to get tough because life is coming. And I don't care if we never see a oh, God, I do care. God, please keep our nation safe keep us all wonderful, but can I tell you, even if life is continuing to go down this path and we never see another war again, you know, if you continue to have a job that gives you a raise every single year, if you find yourselves in a relationship that is successful and going great, even if all of those things take place, life will find a way to try to poke you in the eye. Has anybody gotten some eye-poking in their life before? What are you going to do? Are we going to throw our hands in the air and go, forget it, I'm out. This is too tough. Because me giving my life to Christ, Elaine, means I gave it, not I loaned it. Once I dedicated my life to God, I didn't go, you've got a 30-day lease. In six months, I'm going to check back in to see if we're going to renew this vow or not. In a year, this contract may or may not have some negotiation powers there, God. I gave my life to him. I serve him no matter what. And this is where the church is. They're growing, but now they have to make hard decisions. In verse 14, I'm sorry verse 15 so that they brought out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them you know what's crazy for me there's there's no mentioning that that by putting themselves in front of Peter's shadow they were healed but what it does point out to me is the amount of faith that people had in that life people who are living life with an extreme faith will do extreme things things that don't make sense And when I look at what's taking place here, there's no mention ever in the history of the, the previous scriptures that a shadow of a man would heal. That was that Jesus didn't even experience that. But you know what was crazy is that there was a woman who had an issue of blood. And her faith said, if only I could touch the hem of his garments, I'll be healed. Jesus didn't have supernatural clothes. If if he did have supernatural clothes, then the, the, the guards who were gambling for his clothes, the moment he won with his gamble, all of his healing would be manifest. And he'd be like, wow, this is a supernatural coat. And he would walk around and we would hear about that. Indiana Jones and the Spear of Destiny or whatever it may be looking for the spear that punctured Jesus or or looking for the crown of thorns or or looking for the chalice that he drank there's no power in those things but there is power when I take a connection to who God is and I put myself in a spot for a miracle to take place it doesn't make sense And can I tell you, there's going to be moments in your life that God's going to ask something of you that doesn't make sense. God is a very logical God, and we love logic, and I'm a very logical person myself. But can I tell you, there are moments in my life where God says to do something, and we do it. It doesn't make sense, okay, it doesn't make sense that I could lay hands on somebody and they get healed. But yet we all believe that that can happen. Why? Well, the Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Great. How does, how, how does that work? It, it is a moment of faith. Bringing your tithes and offerings to the Lord is a connection of faith. Faith. Walking in the Spirit is a connection of faith. Turning the other cheek is a connection of faith. Not connecting with gossip in your office is a connection with faith. Not blowing somebody up on social media is a connection of faith. Everything we do that seems counterculture is supposed to be a connection of faith. And here we see them seeing Peter and the apostles, man, they obviously have something going on. If I could just get close enough that their shadow would hit me, I believe with all of my heart that the spirit of God that's inside of them will do something great. And it says this, and the multitude gathered and the surrounding cities to Jerusalem being sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. They were all healed because Peter just was the man No. They were all healed because God is wanting to do something in your life. And faith is the fuel that will make sure that that engine is running in the right direction. And it's hard for me to have faith when everything that I need to do is to have my math add up. Faith is believing in the unseen. Faith is looking at something and saying it's the wrong thing, but it's supposed to be the right thing and calling it the right thing to see it to take place. And that doesn't make sense. Faith doesn't logically make sense. And this is the kicker. It doesn't make sense because we're programmed to think the way the world thinks. But if we were programmed to think the way that God thinks, it would make perfect sense. Because he spoke the world into existence. He breathed life into man. He spoke every animal that created. He spoke every tree that existed, every blade of grass. He spoke all the birds. He spoke it into existence. And now all of a sudden we go, hey, now I don't want to speak anymore, God. I just want it to make sense with my natural understanding. But God's created you for so much more Than logical thinking. Logical thinking is a beautiful gift from God, and I thank you that you have it. But when God puts something on your heart, dream bigger than your own understanding. And then the world falls apart because the high priest rose up and all those who were with them, and they were filled with indignation. That's beyond being salty. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. The common prison, I need you to understand, is different than the prison that they were being held in previously. Earlier, they would be stuck into a room waiting for the Sanhedrin to decide their fate. This time, they threw them in prison with guards, with, with, I'm going to say with guns, with guards, with knives, with swords, with weapons, with chains, with all of the things, because now we're going to flex our muscle to show you that we are not just talking the talk. We're going to throw you into real prison to scare you. They do this for two reasons. Number one, they're petrified they're petrified of what's happening in their world they're walking this life and for the first time things aren't working out the way that they expect them to work out there's an issue that's taken place here and the issue is this other people are now getting attention My power is being taken, and we're going to flex on that power. We're going to show you that we really can. The second thing is this, and we'll talk about this in, I think, 27 and 28. If they were to agree with what Peter and and the apostles are saying, they would also have to admit that they were wrong. You see, pride does a unique thing to us. A spirit of pride will never accept the fact that it could be wrong. A spirit of pride will always be right in its own eyes and can never, ever be wrong. And even if I nail you to the wall and say, this is fact, it's still somebody else's fault. These men could not allow the apostles to continue speaking because by continuing to speak, it was causing other people to realize that these are not perfect men. Can I tell you, I am not a perfect man, far from it. I will never stand up here and act like I don't have my own issues. Paul stood up in front of everybody and says that he was the chief of sinners. (laughs) Paul famously writes I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do, and there's a war. And and, and somehow these Sadducees, these Pharisees, the Sanhedrin would pose themselves as second to God and everything that they did was perfect and they never made a mistake and they never had sin. Everything was always great. And now for the first time, there's somebody pointing out, hey, can I tell you, you have a glass house too and you made a huge mistake. Your mistake may be that you lied. Their mistake, they murdered the Messiah. Two totally different things. They can't handle that. And so they get there and they throw them in. Verse 20, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple early in the morning and caught and taught. Sorry, they were set free and they went and taught. And the high priest and those with them called to the council together with those elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought back out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported, saying, We indeed found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the high priest and the captain of the temple... That when the high priest, the captain of the temple... And the chief priests heard these things. They wondered, what outcome would this be? So no one came, and told, so one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. We hate these guys. We arrest these guys. We throw them in the prison. We lock the doors. We put guards. Angels let them out. And instead of these guys going, Thanks, angels. We'll see you guys later. They just walk back out and start teaching again, as if it never happened. Gutsy move. Like, I feel like in my life sometimes if God set me free and delivered me from a situation, good or bad, I might go, yeah, won't do that again. So why would they? Isn't this contrary to how we would think? I got in trouble now the second time. The first time was bad. The second time they actually threw me in real prison with real guards. And God let me out. Maybe God is just telling me, hey, this is not the good spot to preach. Maybe we should go out a little bit further and not be in their, their sphere. No. Something in their minds go, yes, let's do it again. My daughter and I uh, and my son went to Great Wolf Lodge months and months ago. <laughs> and there's a slide in this water park that you just stand and you enclose yourself and then the bottom falls out and you just like, poof, you just you just drop. Like it just opens up and you just you just go. So McKenna and I are 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 watching this take place and we have no intentions of doing said slide. Our goal is to go the other slide that you can see and you just kind of, yay, go do it. And I'm watching people like standing there shivering and scared and they're freaking out and boom, they just disappear. And so in your natural eyes looking, they're there, they're gone. The only way that happens is to just fall. So logically, I know there's no way this is actually hurting people but your eyes are communicating, this is a stupid idea, just to drop randomly. So McKenna calls me out, and I can't let my nine-year-old call me out, so I'm like, I'm not scared, say less. So I get in there, and I go Whoop, right down, okay? Amazing experience. And so I, I walk back up, because she hasn't come down, and she's standing there, nervous. Like, oh, no, 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 we're not doing this. You made me go down, you go down. (laughs) I'm not doing it. Like, no, 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 I did it, you're doing it. Mm, I'm not doing it. Get in there. (laughs) Terrified. And you could tell, I never threatened her, but you could tell based on a dad tone, I think she interpreted my tone as get in there or get get in trouble. It was not going to get her in trouble. I mean, you're scared, you're scared. But get in there. (laughs) Yes, sir. And so she gets in, petrified, goes down, comes back up. I can hear her screaming, yes, as she gets back up and runs right back up the stairs again. (laughs) That's the apostles right now. They get thrown into a bad situation and they're running right back at it as if it was the best experience of their life. Because to them, this is what they said, to speak to the people all the words of this life were more important than a momentary inconvenience on this earth. And I use that word momentary inconvenience because the vast majority of them are going to die in the next few years. But I think if I can, every last one of the apostles who stood there at this moment and then later on in life when they're losing their heads literally, they took the suffering in this moment as a momentary inconvenience for a future glory on the other side. Right now, every single person who is a believer on this earth, if you were to die this moment, and you were to go to heaven, what would that be like? To perpetually and all eternity be in the presence of God. There's no more pain, there's no more sickness, there's no more cancers, there's no more drama. Okay? Or, you're here. One of the biggest things that I had to learn in my life is that my worst case scenario is continuing to wake up on this earth. Because if death means I get eternity with happiness, I'm not scared any longer. In other words, the suffering of this moment for the cross is a momentary inconvenience so that I can live in glory forever with him. And the apostles took this approach to their lives. I will say yes to him, understanding that in the future, I have an entirety of eternity of, of, of life with him. And if we would live our lives based on eternity standpoint, we would understand that the ridicule, the chastisement, the losing of friends, the negative conversations we would have with our coworkers or our family members for the cross' sake is a momentary inconvenience for everyone else to hear the truth of this world. And the truth is this, there is but one way to heaven. That is an inconvenient truth to speak today. There is but one way, and it's Jesus Christ. You can have a many world religions that do great things on this earth. You can do good deeds every day for the rest of your life. But can I tell you, there is but one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. These Sadducees, these Pharisees were perpetually doing good deeds, yet they never had a relationship with the Messiah. Because good deeds make you feel good, but a relationship with the cross understands that everything that I do has eternity in mind. Every soul matters. Verse 26 When the captains went with the officers, and this time brought them without violence, for they now feared the people lest they would be stoned. And when they brought them, they set before them the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you to not teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and indeed intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. Him... God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are all his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those whom obey him. That's heavy. It's heavy because they have people throwing themselves into the shadow of the apostles to get healed. Everyone is experiencing that connects demon possessions to be removed, sickness to be removed. What did it say? Uh, Bringing the sick, tormented by unclean spirits. They were all healed. Where were they healed? At the temple, In, in front of these men. And instead of going, What happened? How are you doing this? His answer to Peter was this, and look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. So what were they concerned about? They were concerned that they would look bad. The doctrine of Jesus, the one that we all, and Peter clearly said everyone killed, not just these guys, Peter's preaching this doctrine. The apostles are preaching the doctrine of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, and their pride and their arrogance, instead of humbling themselves to go, we need to pivot, they look and go, stop talking about us in the negative light. Let us stay in our little bubble. Stop talking bad things about us. The problem was is they are so narcissistic, Peter's not talking about them. He's talking about all humanity has killed Jesus because sin has filled the world. And all they can think about is it's making me look bad. And Peter looks and he's like, guys, this is about the world. The truth is there. And this is what makes me pause and have questions about myself is at what spot in my life have I allowed the pride of my, my appearance, my job, my title, my whatever it is to hinder me from accepting a true statement that may make me look bad? When things start to shift and things start to go in a very specific direction, am I resistant to God's move because I don't want to look bad? Am I resistant to God's plan because it's not the way that I intended it to be? Am I resistant to what he's doing because it's not my style? Can I tell you, God is perpetually doing something new. And one thing that I can tell you is this. For generation after generation after generation, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin led the people towards God. Can we all agree? For years, they led the people towards God. And God shows up. And we don't like this anymore. We want to keep doing it our way. There's no adjustment to God's plan. I believe with all my heart that God is going to continue to make plan adjustments. There's not a new Messiah. Don't get that way. But what I'm telling you is is that we set ourselves on a trajectory going, I'm going to serve God, and we determine it in our hearts, and we start walking, and we start walking, and we start walking. And then all of a sudden something happens, and either we pivot or God pivots, and instead of looking and doing course correction, we want to be bullheaded and stay in our way. And pride will lead us down a road that of destruction. How many times is it my in, in your life, and you look back and people were telling you truth, "Hey, this is a bad idea hey, how's that working out for you? Hey, you, you should be doing this and you should probably be doing that and God's telling you this and God's telling you, And we're like, nope, not going to do it and because we couldn't admit that we needed to make a course correction. Our hope was if I stay true to my path, eventually I'll just boomerang back around and God will make it work out for us. But repentance is stopping in a specific direction, pivoting and going in the opposite direction. And this is what God has called us to do on a regular basis, is a life of repentance. God, I'm walking this way. Nope, going this way. God, nope, going this way. Where do you, where, where, God, where are you leading us? Over and over and over again, because a life of repentance is continuing, relying on His ear to tell us to go left, to tell us to go right, to speed up, to slow down, to stop or back up. What happens in my world? is that God says, go right, and I put my headphones in, and I put my music up, and I just start going right. And he's over there going, and I'm just waving back. What's up, Doing my own thing on a regular basis. And then I have a huge moment in my life where I have egg on my face, and I take my headphones up, like, where are you, God? He's like, hey, dummy, I've been trying to signal you now for all of this time. Oh, okay. Wait, Turn left? Okay, great put my headphones in and start going left and he's over there waving and something happens you, you know who perpetually gets in my way me I believe with all my heart the devil could retire today and I would still find a way to screw myself up and what we have to do is listen to his voice On stop being so prideful stop being so dogmatic understand that every single one of us is (laughs) every single one of us have the propensity to have sinful thoughts that are ungodly and to let our heart and our minds our flesh, our desires to guide those thoughts and we need a regular intervaled communication with the Holy Spirit to go, am I doing this right? But if I'm left up to my own thoughts for six months, six weeks, six days, I'm going to find a way to make a mistake. But living a life in relationship with the Holy Spirit and we feel a little twinge and we go, I repent. It's so much easier than digging a trench for years and trying to undo it all. Live a life where it plucks pride out. I can't finish. I'm so sorry. We'll do it next week. Heavenly God, we just thank you that as we wrap this thing up, that God, we live lives that are committed to you, that we live lives that are, are wholeheartedly pointing towards you. Not my will, not my way, not my preconditions, not my contracts, not none of that, but God, your will be done. Take this life, use it. We give it to you wholeheartedly with nothing, with total abandonment, Anything you want to do, use us today, God. And Lord, as we're going through this, if there's pride, if there's issues in our lives that we haven't navigated properly because we're, we're, we're becoming like the Sadducees and Pharisees, like the Sanhedrin trying to, 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 to save face, Lord, speak to us to make the course corrections that we need to make to live life towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, y'all. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.